Hello, everyone. My name is Robert Winfrey, and what you're about to listen to is an old episode of a podcast I used to host called Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. This particular episode was a little bit less focused than some of the others. The others I usually had something of a, uh, you know, a subject material, a thesis, a brief to kind of go over. But this episode, originally aired October 25th, 2013, is just kind of a Halloween special. It's me and Sean Comer talking about some of our favorite Halloween traditions, stories, villainous things, some of our least favorite as well. Uh, Everyone Loves a Bad Guy was surprisingly positive most of the time. <laughs> Given the subject material and my personality, it's a bit of a surprise. But it was, uh, it was a lot of positive stuff for the most part. This was one of the times when we could talk a little bit more about, you know, things we just didn't like as much either. So, uh, a little bit more of a grab bag, uh, a lot looser format than usual, but a, a fun show, all in all. Not what, not a format I ever repeated. I don't think I ever did too many other, you know, I did a call-in special at one point. I did one that was all about um, TV villains that was a call-in special as well, so... Just not one I played around with a whole lot, but a, a solid, I think, show overall. So if you could please give us a like, comment, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy, uh, anything that you can do to help support the show in that particular respect is deeply appreciated by me and everyone else here. Also, if you don't want to do any of that, but you would like to help us out a bit, we can help you as well. And not just through entertainment not just through killing time, not just through something to put on that helps put your children to bed. Although, if you do that with us, I'm happy to provide that service as well. You see, for you, listeners of the W2M network, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. So if you happen to write a lot, that is a wonderful service. We're willing to help you out there. Also, another way to potentially help us out and to help you out, Streaming music. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Well, if you like it, there's not really a better service than Amazon Music Unlimited. And if you're listening to this, we can get you hooked up with 30 days free of charge for the Amazon Music Unlimited service, their library of over 70 million songs. All at your fingertips, all ad-free. All you have to do is go to getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network and tell them we're the ones that sent you and you will get 30 days no fuss, no muss, of that service free. At the end of that, if you like it, you can keep it and start paying for it. If not, you lost nothing. Not a darn thing. There is no risk to you whatsoever. It helps them, it helps us, and it helps you. So, if any of that strikes your fancy, that's get, uh, again, you have getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network or getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. There are links to both in the description below this podcast if that's how you'd rather get about go about this. All right, with that out of the way, thank you again for listening. Throw it back to myself and Sean Comer, circa 2013. Hope you all enjoy the show.
When the devil is too busy and death a bit too much, they call on me by name, you see, for my special touch. To the gentleman, I'm his fortune. To the ladies, I'm surprised. But call me by any name, anyway, it's all the same. I'm the fly in your suit, I'm the pestle in your shoe, I'm the bee beneath your bed, I'm the bump on every head, I'm the pill on which you slip, I'm the pit in every head, I'm the thorn in your side, makes you Oftentimes, 
the champion just ends up just just disappearing for like four or five months just to go recharge because it takes that much out of them. Yeah, I mean, Hellraiser Revelations is like the Chupacabra. It comes out of nowhere, drains all of the life out of you, and then retreats back into the... However... We, we, folks, do, we do have good news. Oh, yeah. We, we, folks, we couldn't make this up if we tried. Yeah, um, so just before we get into tonight's show, which is just going to be kind of a hodgepodge of Halloween favorites and stuff that you enjoy this time of the year, but uh, news that broke last night, apparently Dimension Films is working with Clive Barker to do a re- to remake the original Hellraiser movie. Now... Let's you know that that particular idea has been bandied about for years and years on end, but in this particular instance, we have great news because first of all, Clive Barker is working on it. Not just a consultant; he's actually writing the script, and he is insistent that Doug Bradley play Pinhead, and Doug Bradley should, and hopefully, Doug Bradley will. But the reason this is not just good news—this is great news under any circumstances—but. This particular bit of news comes about just days after Sean and I wrapped up discussing the Hellraiser franchise on the long road to ruin. And towards the end of that, we did actually discuss that if you're going to make Hellraiser movies, you need Doug Bradley as Pinhead, you need input from someone like Clive Barker, or someone who is very familiar with the source material. And we cursed out Dimension Films and the Weinstein Company and everyone associated with Hellworld and Revelations. And lo and behold, a few days later, we get our wish. Now, were we the straw that broke the camel's back? Did our rant somehow get back to people in power through unpaid interns who scour the Internet listening for random people's opinions? Were we the catalyst? Were we the final straw? I can't say definitively. But I'd like to think so, because, you know what, my ego could do with a bit of stroking every now and then, and I'm happy, and, you know, just the timing was just so perfect, I couldn't help but think, you know, maybe we had a little something to do with that. And you know Sean's what? epic 30-minute rant may have finally been, you know, if we can get this guy this pissed off about it, we should probably try to make this up to our fans. Uh, you know what? I meant what I said last night. When I have a minute... When I'm not compelled to pop Arkham Origins back in and keep slagging my way through that, um, I really am tempted to look up what the best contact information would be for Mr. Barker and send him links to those two podcasts. Just, just for the hell of it, just to see if maybe it gets a response. Because you have to remember, we didn't have a bad thing to say about Clive Barker. We heaped nothing but glowing praise upon the first two movies and actually most of the third movie. We were pretty nice to most of the sequels. We only really started getting mad when it came to talking about Hellworld. And then we pretty much led off our discussion about Hellraiser Revelations with Clive Barker's epic disowning Twitter rant that concluded with the phrase, this didn't even come from my butthole. In response to Barker, that had the nerve to say that it was from the mind of Clyde Barker. Um, it might be, you know, like you said, you know, when one of us get, or maybe Mark will, because he tends to be a bit more fastidious about things like this. Just as, you know, I mean, I know he's on Twitter and everything, so it might be worth 
the effort just to say, you know, thank you for everything you've done, and I'm just curious as to if your reaction was anything like this. Well, I think I think Mark will probably have me do it because, number one, you got to keep in mind, of the two of us, Mark, and <laughs> he's probably listening to the show right now, um, <laughs> Mark is, by pretty much his own admission, a colossal Freddy pants when it comes to horror movies. Um, he he was not real happy about talking to doing the paranormal activity. Uh, no, I, I recall he was a bit. Yeah. Wait, the door shut on its own. Yeah, he he was not happy about that. Um, so the two of us, yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm the one that has said so many times that that one movie, the the ninth Hellraiser movie was one of the reasons, one of the two movies I could really credit with giving me the inspiration to start this show. Um, so I will be more than happy to just just shoot the moon, drop Clyde a line, and say, look, as a horror fan, I have loved this franchise for a while. I can even kind of stand the sequels. But I'm totally with you on the ninth Hellraiser. And you know what? Quite frankly, if after Dimension fired him from the remake... If he's willing to come back on board and play nice and basically say, "Let me show y'all how it's done," uh, then he's a more forgiving man than I than I would be. Because if he kicked off the project and then have him turn around and fund something like Revelations with a three hundred thousand dollar budget and a two week shooting schedule, I can't begin to imagine what that's like to to have that done to one of your creations. That, that would be like having them kick me off 411 and then turn around and give give life back to music over to, like, A.J. Gray or, or or Justin Watry or somebody or somebody that had just would have no business tackling the topic the way, that, the way that I would. I'd be pissed. So when it comes to a franchise that's basically his legacy, I can't begin to imagine how he must have really felt. I imagine that tweet was probably the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, I mean, there's only so much you can say in 140 characters, even if you do break it up over two or three different installments. You know what? I'm really happy this is going to be a remake and not a sequel. I can't believe I'm saying that. But... Well, there's a couple of things that go into that. First of all, we've had eight sequels, which is more than enough. The original was done in, you know, what was it, the early 80s? I forget when the original movie came out, and... um being kind of lazy tonight, so I'm probably not going to look it up, but it's been out for a while. You could revisit, at least, the original with the possibility of a remake or a reimagining, and, you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I mean, we get kind of hard on remakes and reboots and various other random titles thrown around by Hollywood, but... When they re- when they redid the original Friday the 13th and the original Nightmare on Elm Street, and even when Rob Zombie got a hold of Halloween, you know, there were... I don't want to talk about Friday the 13th remake here because it would just aggravate me a bit too much. But when ta- but you know, with the other two, and again, uh, Nightmare, the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street has issues, but there are good points as well. It, it, they've been out for a while. It's not the worst thing in the world to look to, you know, maybe see what we can do with you know modern special effects and that's not to say i want it all cgi because i'm a big believer in practical stuff as well but you know techniques and whatnot have improved it's not the end of the world to revisit it in the form of a remake or 
a reimagining again. Insert generic title number thirty-seven here if you feel the need to. Well, you know, uh, occasionally, when, occasionally when it comes to horror movies, especially, you get remakes where you, or even sequels, where you're privileged enough to get the original mind on board. And really, since we're just kind of loosely just talking about our favorite Halloween, um, mm-hmm. two of my all-time, 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 all-time favorites, maybe even ones that I rank above Hellraiser, if you can believe that, are only two of the Nightmare on Elm Street, and that's the original, obviously. But the other one is Wes Craven's New Nightmare, because this is the first time I can, re- I can really remember this being the case with a major horror franchise. Um, they went so long throughout most of that series without Wes Craven having any involvement whatsoever. He did the first movie, and that was it. He didn't write or direct anything from Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, right up Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. However, he had this really crazy kind of meta idea for Wes Craven's new nightmare. He wrote it, and he came back on board to direct. And lo and behold, that is the second best movie in the entire series. Um, The only other two times I can think of when there's really been a situation like that was, number one, and this didn't pan out with results quite as successful, mind you, wasn't quite as appealing, Um, when Sam Raimi made The Grudge, um, he also had, creatively, uh, Takeshi Shimizu, who directed the Japanese original Juon, The Grudge, and is on board for that one. The American American localization wasn't quite as good. Um, It just, it didn't pack the same atmosphere as the Japanese original did, but it was a good effort. It was... It was all right. But then you turn around, and a number of years later, all of a sudden, uh, somebody wants to redo Evil Dead. Well, not only Sam Raimi, but Bruce Campbell himself came on board to kind of consult on it and make sure that it was really going in the right direction. And again, uh, even that's kind of breaking new ground, because the idea behind that, they're going to make a sequel to the new Evil Dead that came out last year. Or was it this year? My, my movie calendar is all off. Last year, I think. Last year, yeah. I think, I think so. Um, it wasn't... Either way... Was either way... Bad. Yeah. Either way, they're going to make a sequel to that one. And along the way, Sam, Sam and Bruce are actually going to make a sequel to Army of Darkness. And then there's going to be a fourth movie that's going to combine the two timelines. One that's, can only hope it turns out as awesome as it sounds in theory. Yeah, that, that does. That, that, sounds out, that sounds outstanding. But in those cases, things panned out as well as they did because you had the original mind on board. I even got to think, with all due respect to Sam Raimi, that had uh, Shimizu not been on board with The Grudge, I don't know if it would have come out quite as well. Probably not, uh, but I my issue with The Grudge is that its success is what spawned all of the other crappy Americanization of Japanese horror movies that we got over the next several years. Oh, actually, no, actually, The Ring did that. Well, The Ring came before The Grudge, and if The Grudge had kind of fizzled, it probably would have been, oh, okay, we got one, and it was kind of an aberration. And by the way, I might add The Ring is another one of my favorites. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, it just, I pointed that, and it's like, okay, The Grudge did well. So that means we now get Dark Waters, Mirrors, One Missed Call... 
an awful remake of The Eye, and you know, I mean, I'm sure there's more that I'm forgetting because I chose to forget them. <laughs> now, the the only two that I would say really worked out well would be the first iteration of The Ring, and to a far, far lesser extent, The Grudge. Those are about the only two where I would actually patently say, yeah, that worked. But in this case, again, it's I will see this just out of curiosity, just because I, you know, right off the top of my head, I can't remember one time when the creator of an original horror franchise, at least not one the caliber of Hellraiser, has come on and complete and said, I want to completely remake my first. I'm with you. I can't remember. I certainly can't think of any off the top of my head. Anybody out there, feel free to post comments and insult us for not knowing some obscure piece of cinema. And, you know, that's not me being snarky. It's it's the horror genre we're discussing here. There's a lot of obscure stuff that is very good. That Yeah. So that very that I just haven't happened to have seen. So, well, speak, speaking of which, here's a question for you: um, what, what are some of your favorite horror movies that you watch during this time of year? The ones that you really like to make a point of marathoning on October third. Oh, it's so it's so odd for me when I because I like horror movies, but I'm not a huge fan of marathoning pretty much anything in general. But I. Generally, around this time of year, I make an effort to elite, to watch. Well, not this year, but in previous years, I've I've made an effort to watch Hellraiser because I just think the first two are so well done and Pinhead's awesome. And I get I'm kind of, my predilections with horror kind of run the entire gamut, but I do enjoy a good. I, you know, there's some gore hound in me, so stuff like Hellraiser or the new Evil Dead movie, they don't bother me all that much, so I get a kick out of them. And I, you know. I don't think my you know, any Halloween for me is complete without uh, re- watching at least the first Saw movie because I think Jigsaw's awesome and I really enjoy the first two especially you know the first two movies. After that, yeah, not so much. But eh, what are you gonna do? Oh God, I, I I got a little more endurance than most people because when it comes to Saw, I actually like the first three. There's elements of three that I like. I have a couple of problems. One. Um, they almost lost me early on when Jigsaw tells the doctor that he's abducted that you have to keep me alive or you die, even though he's in the final stages of terminal cancer and can't possibly be kept alive. Granted, he explains a minute or so later that I just need to see this particular device through, and then I can die and you can be free. I just need to be alive until then. But they kind of should. But you know, for my money, they should have led with that instead of no, you just have to keep me alive. Like, wait a minute, you can't win there. You know, there's no. And my other issue with that one came in the last five to ten minutes when it seemed like, oh, crap, we haven't had enough gore. Yeah. And again, I'm a, I, I fall into the gore hound category more often than not. I just like for it to serve a purpose and to serve the story. So when, especially the later Saw Andrews, when it's just like, hey, I wonder how much stuff we can show on screen. It's like, no, you're not doing anything good. You're not trying to tell a story. It serves no purpose. You're just creating schlock, and it's just, no, be gone, go away, quit desecrating something that was so awesome. One of the, one of the big things that I really like about First the Whole, um, oh, here, briefly, I'll get back to that in one second, but a brief aside, uh, while we're talking, I'm, I'm chatting live with Jackie, our long road to ruin super fan. Um, Mark, she just made, Mark, I'm sorry, Robert, uh, 
made any favorite horror movies we can throw out there look good by comparison because she says her favorite go-to Halloween movie is Hocus Pocus. You know, it's the Halloween season. If you enjoy, if you enjoy stuff like that, have at it. You know, I, I, I kid, I kid. It's, it's, it's Disney Halloween movies. You know, um, and I, I guess it's mildly amusing. Dude, watching Nazis get the crap kicked out of them by enchanted suits of armor? Or am I confusing my... I think I am. I now i got to no look it up. Now i got... Uh, I think... Oh, I'm thinking of, like, bed knobs and broomsticks. Yeah, I was going to say... Well, I, was gonna say I, I don't watch a lot of live-action Disney movies. No, no, so, no I, was, I was just briefly excited because I was thinking, is there a director's cut out there that I don't know about? Do you like it? Um, no, actually, it's it's worth watching for the pure hilarity. And um, <laughs> the the funny thing is, I didn't real I didn't realize this until um, I was actually watching NCIS with uh, with Scarlett one time, um, and she she had never seen the show before, and I had some episodes of it um, handy just like just laying around, and I knew that there was a very young pre-boob explosion Thora Birch in there before she kind of grew into American Beauty to her American Beauty role. I did not know that Thackeray Banks was played by uh, uh, Sean Murray McGee from NCIS. Hmm. I don't watch NCIS or see, it's see derivative now, now, or it's CSI or it's derivatives. See, now, folks, if I had been hosting this show with Ari Bernstein, he would have probably just given me a collective, well, no shit. <laughs> uh, quite possibly. Because in addition to being an ROH lexicon, Ari is also a big, big NCIS guy. One more reason. <laughs> um, but, no, that, that, that's far from the worst movie you could watch on Halloween. Actually, one year, I'm quite proud of the marathon that I put together because... And do not ask me how I came up with this particular combination of movies. Um, back when I was in college in Maryville, um, every one of my friends managed to flake out on a planned movie marathon that we were going to do. And so I actually got the satisfaction of enjoying all on my own a combination of, uh, what else, The Shining, Strangeland, and Secret Window. Oh, that that that's kind of an odd setup, although more power to Dee Snyder, because he's kind of awesome. You know, you would not have thought the lead singer of Twisted Sister would have made a really seriously creepy horror movie villain. Damn if he didn't pull it off, though. He did, and just, you know, well, you also have Robert England in that movie as a redneck who winds up in body suspension, which is always fun to see how people interpret that on screen when they're not actually doing it. Plus, um, my biggest kick out of that entire movie, and I enjoyed a lot of it, but Robert England does not die from his prolonged hanging from his skin. And as he's being wheeled away, he's, in a, he's on a stretcher, he's wrapped up to his neck, and just the look on his face, he's wide-eyed, looking back and forth from side to side, and just the way he does that, I, just, I couldn't help but laugh because it was just so awesome seeing him you know have what? fun like he, that. Uh, he, he works those facial muscles. Just so, so incredibly. You want to talk about somebody who can act through the makeup. And then he wasn't even wearing makeup. But the man's claim to fame is how much he was able to convey as Freddy Krueger 
despite being caked quite literally just about head to toe in process. Yeah, it's you know he's it's awesome. Plus, well, the other movie that if you're in kind of a fun Halloween mood, you should probably see the uh, Behind the Mask: The Rise of Leslie Vernon. I have seen it. I, I love that movie. Well, I, I know, I'm speaking in general, but. Robert England is the good guy. Kane Hodder has a couple of appearances. Yep. Just a really fun kind of... I I have to imagine that that movie is to horror what, like, Vince McMahon coming out and saying where we think you're tired of having your intelligence insulted is to the world of professional wrestling. I thought that was what Scream was. No, no, no. Scream just points out all of the tropes. I like that with Behind the Mask, you have actually have him come out and say, okay, so backstories are faked, and so I have to do gobs of cardio, and... So I have to take all the spark plugs out of the cars and nail all these windows shut. I mean, come on, there's five of them and one of me. <laughs> oh, who was it? Who was it I was watching this weekend over on that guy with the glasses? Um, oh, oh, I was watching um, uh, Brad Jones' um, uh, Friday the 13th Cinema Snob. And he referred to, I think he referred to Scream as being something like irritatingly meta or annoyingly meta. One of the few times I, I would disagree with him. I love Scream. That's another one at this time of year I love to, if I think to put it in, I love to I love to pop it in and just sit back and enjoy it. For well, as long as you skip the third one. Eh. Again, the, the third one is... Your mileage may vary, folks. <laughs> the third one was okay, but it definitely suffers for the fact that there was no Kevin Will. Not, yeah, that, not, that like, helps very little. Um, see what else? What else is a good one to watch this time? This time well, of year. Well, I'm I'm gonna go find the specifics, but I a uh, frequent contributor to this particular podcast and a regular in the 411 MMA zone. Pat Mullen requested that he mentioned that he brought up specifically the uh, Pumpkinhead franchise, which yeah. if you've never seen them, are just I mean I didn't rewatch them because I I was a little annoyed at Lance Henriksen just because I recently watched Hell, Hell World and Lance Henriksen's in that. No, but, but Lance Henriksen was good in it. Yeah, it's it's a really fun uh movie for those of you who haven't seen it. Lance Henriksen's son is killed accidentally by like the stereotypical rich douchebags, you know, teenagers and to seek justice, he goes to the local witch. They call up a demon, which looks kind, of, which looks pretty awesome for the time. And he then goes on a killing rampage to attain justice for the tragic death of that poor kid. And you get I Lance Henriksen going, kind of going. Well, I didn't want this at one point, and he tries to stop the demon. And it's just, you know, it's just a fun little horror movie. And I, I enjoyed the ending too, so. I won't spoil you know, it. Lance was Lance was chewing so damn much scenery. He must have been shitting particle board for a month after that movie wrapped. And hats off to him because it just he plays this mentally a little bit off redneck dad. I'll be damned if it doesn't work though. Yeah, it's uh, uh, you know it's a credit to Lance kind of as far as that goes. My in my opinion, Pumpkinhead is one really surprisingly good good monster movie, uh, two really bad sequels, and what I think has to be a contender for one of the most broken ever <laughs> actually conceived and with, and without apology, you know, put on shelves so that people could trade hard-earned money. 
Seriously, uh, if, 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 if you have never seen a gameplay video of uh, the PC game Pumpkinhead, I think it was no, what it wasn't. I think it was either B or it was one of the early failed CD based. Like, I don't know. I'll look it up. Like Atari Jag, like Atari Jaguar. I want to say, um, go go on YouTube and look up a gameplay video of it and just stare on in shock. And keep in mind. This got a commercial release. People actually sank money in the making. In the making, it, it, it is it is absolutely incredible. It, it defies description to watch. It, it's like somebody's special cousin made the world's worst clone of. <laughs> oh, doom! And, and and tried to wedge some FMV elements. Yeah, there's uh, odd video games come out of horror movies, and yet we still want a Hellraiser one because it hasn't been done. So, that's the other thing. I'm, Game developers, we threw this out on Long Road to Ruin. I'll reiterate, get a good Hellraiser video game together. If they're remaking the original movie, you can probably turn out a decent game to be released around the same time. You know what? It's really a crying shame that Silicon Knights pretty much is no more, because really, who else would you in good conscience trust to actually make a great atmospheric horror game but the people who made, who gave the world Eternal Darkness Sandy's Requiem? I'm not as up on game developers and whatnot as I should be, so I'm the wrong guy to ask that question. Okay, did you at any point when you were younger own a Nintendo game? Still have one, I think. Still have one. Okay. Have you ever played Eternal Darkness? No. Okay. Have not. Need to. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. I'm not as... I, there are video games that I enjoy. I'm not as big into it as maybe, you know, considering what I do in my spare time, like... Stuff like this, I maybe should be more up-to-date on them and more more conversant with them, but I have heard about it and I've heard good things, so atmospheric horror games are kind of tough to come out with good ones unless, even then, they're, just kind of, they're also kind of a tough sell, unless it's, you have the well, Resident it, Evil name in front of it, it in which case, hey, any old crap. It's atmospheric Lovecraftian. Um, oh, I do love me some Lovecraft. Yeah, with, with one of the most... Uh, Effective gameplay gift, oh, one of the most highly regarded that, uh, that I think any game on England has ever come up with, and that is the sanity mechanic. Well, that's in uh, that's in other games I've played, uh, Dark Corners of the Earth specifically. Yeah, and but this game did it best. <laughs> but it first and probably did the best, yeah. I'll yeah. have to see if I can find a copy of that maybe. I mean, the world. We're, we're talking about a game that at various points will fake you out and make you crash and is erasing your data. <laughs> oh, I see you play Castlevania a lot. Okay, imagine that, and then imagine something more strategic, sadistic, and actually meticulous set up throughout the game. Oh, crap, I'm trying to run from the Shogun. Wait, wait, no, don't crash, no, I can't see where I'm going. Oh, I ran in. Yeah, something kind of like that. Um, okay, <laughs> I found a couple of other requests. Speaking oh, of, I can't uh, believe I didn't remember this one, but speaking of Halloween movies, the horror anthology movie Trick or Treat. Which, you know, I hate to say that I have never seen. I I, I had meant to see that for a long time, and I always had it on my Netflix list. And then the other day, um, Obscurus Loop, as a little bit of a kind of a stopgap between other projects, posted one of her a quick look at her and gave it just glowing praise as being a pretty damn good little anthology. And, of course, I go to Netflix to check and see if it's still up for streaming. Yeah, lo and behold, it's not. Nope. 
So, I don't know. I'll, I'll probably have to settle for watching something. Well, and I hate to call it. No, I shouldn't call this settling for it. That's really not doing it. Uh, personally, I'm a creep show guy. Creep show's a pretty good one, too. Well, I first saw Trick or Treat because uh, Joseph Lee, the horror guru at 411 Mania and the Movies and Television Zone, speaks very highly of it pretty much whenever he gets a chance to. So I streamed it when it was on Netflix, and I wound up enjoying it. Is it? So for anybody out there who hasn't seen it, if you like horror anthology, it is done well. You get some cool kills. You get some interesting stories. And if you don't mind seeing Anna Paquin, you you have the one that she is involved in. Sure. Um, God, there are so few really great horror in So many try to do it, and so few do it well. Oh, there was there was one that I watched recently, a really bad independent, and I can't remember what it is. Um, VHS? No, although that wasn't exactly any great shakes. Um, the ABCs of Death? Okay, well, if we're going to talk about ABCs of Death, Let's not, please. You know what? In, in my lifetime, okay. uh, you have, before you, you go, before you go on, for those of you who are unaware of this particular film, the basic I, the basic concept is you have 26 very short movies, each one directed by a different director, and they each get a different letter from the alphabet. And that has to be... It, the title for each of the different shorts is A is for Armageddon, for example. And you go yeah. on down the line, A through, and they refer, and each of them just has to deal with death in one way or another. And they refer to the movie as the ABCs of death. And you get like three out of the twenty out of the entire thing that are actually like worthwhile. Yeah, it's I I wouldn't say three. There's maybe a few more than that. But my thing is, is some of the rest of them are just. And I'm not one who's real, real squeamish about gore uh, or or things being too twisted or too macabre. Most movie was really hard to stomach. Well, it it doesn't seem to serve a purpose. It's just like, hey, look, let's see how much we can throw out there. Yeah, I mean the 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 one where the guys are trying to figure out what to do with Q, and then they decide (laughs) that they're going that that they're going to do quack and they're going to go kill a duck out in the desert. Okay, that one was actually pretty funny. Well, I mean, if you want to talk about the specific ones, I that one I got a kick out of. I liked um, Dogfight. Yes, I liked that one too. That was good. I will look up the entire list and I'll see which ones I thought were hmm, ABCs of Death. Oh no, God! Not Armageddon. The the one the one that had the anthropomorphic fur, uh, furries. That was an odd one. That was a... that one was a big buffet of what the fuck. Um, that was that, uh, yeah. H. H is for hydroelectric diffusion. Oh yeah. If you ever wonder what would happen if a bunch of horny furries got together and decided to bring to life a Tex Avery cartoon. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Oh, there was well, yeah, there was the one killer toilet. <laughs> There's a lot of odd ones that fall in there. <laughs> so much, so much. Right. It was actually the one thing, the one thing I can say that was close to that in terms of really disgusting me to the point that I didn't want to finish it. Um, movie that came out of Asia called Three. Ex- oh, I believe I've heard of this. Oh, yeah, because actually the first story in this trilogy, in this trilogy anthology, actually ended up getting made into a, being developed into a full-length movie. Um, the first time I tried to watch, I eventually did go back and watch the entire thing, but the first time I tried to watch it, I got to the part in the first story 
where it's revealed that the weird apartment lady's secret for looking forever young was eating dumplings stuffed with chopped up aborted fetuses. Yeah, the uh, the Japanese, or, you know, it's not just Japanese, but I, the Eastern Asian horror movement as of late became just a lot of, let's see how gross we... Yeah, and... And that's disappointing because we mentioned we mentioned the ring and Juon earlier. There's some unsettling images in those, but I wouldn't say there's really anything patently gross. Oh yeah, I mean if you want to see something with some real atmospheric tension to it, I actually really enjoy the uh the Japanese version of the eye, not the crappy Jessica Alba remake reimagining whatever you want to call it. I, I've never seen either, to be perfectly honest. Uh, the the Japanese one is worth looking up. Uh, it's got some it's got some interesting scenes in. You know, we we mentioned video games and movies a little bit ago. Allow me to throw this one out there, and feel free to chastise me for this if you want to. Okay. I actually like I actually like the first Silent Hill movie. I do too. Yeah. Quite uh, quite frankly, if I'm to look at it from the perspective of a gamer. Yes, I'm appalled at all the things they changed from the game to the movie because they didn't seem to change them for any good reason. They just changed them because change. That's it. That's all there is to it. That's all there is to it. They apparently felt that was all the justification they needed. And they were stupid changes, and they ended up having a trickle-down effect that actually did really hurt some other aspects of the movie. But if you had called this movie just about anything else, it's quite like the way I view Halloween 3. It's actually otherwise pretty well executed. The visuals are outstanding. Um, The tone, the atmosphere, the music, the sound design, the costume, it's all really, really well done, especially when you consider how how many of the creature effects are practical. Oh, yeah, Um, I... when I saw Silent Hill, I have never, to this day, never played any of the games. I'm aware of them. I have people, I have friends who are b- very high on them. So when I saw Silent Hill, I was like, okay, let's, you know, I know it's based on a video game, but I went in and I just basically enjoyed a horror movie as opposed to a video game adaptation. All right. And, and actually, to be honest, I actually feel kind of the same way about the first Resident Evil movie. Um, it's a little bit of a guilty pleasure, but, you know, I liked it. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, it certainly has its stupid moments, and it has its moments where it's really, really laughable. But all things considered, as zombie action movies go, there's a lot rather, than that. Yeah, I rather like it. And you know, she overall, in the traditional sense, no, she can't act her way out of a fucking paper bag. But I will give Mila Jovovich this. Um, speaking relatively in terms of her generation of actresses. She's kind of, when it comes to being able to do her own stunts and take her own bumps, she's kind of her generation Sigourney Weaver or Linda Hamilton. Now, that's not a direct comparison, mind you. Please don't any of my colleagues who might be listening to this show think about hitting me up and laying into me because you think I'm trying to say that she's up, that she, her character is up there on par with Sarah Connor and Ellen Ripley. I'm not. I'm just saying, take some serious commitment to take some of the licks that she does while filming these things. But actually, the fact that her husband is directing them doesn't hurt, I suppose. Well, no, obviously that's the reason this whole thing keeps this whole thing keeps going. I mean, but then again, 
not the first time we can ever, we can ever say that. I mean, I mean, come on. By all means, go ahead. Name me ten movies Helena Bonham Carter would have been in if her husband hadn't been directing. Uh, domestic partner, they're not actually. What the fuck ever. <laughs> the, the, the the side the side point being, if Johnny Depp had tits and a vagina, Helena would be out of the. <laughs> but as it stands. Yeah, nepotism, ladies and gentlemen. It's alive, it's well, and yes, we all suffer for it from time to time. Eventually. Uh, the other one movie that I want to talk about here, because I get double action out of this movie as far as holidays go, uh, because I view Gremlins on Halloween, and I view it on Christmas. So if you have any, you know, if you have some thoughts on the Gremlins, it's funny, there's only two movies, you still can kind of refer to it as a franchise, but... Uh, the first one in particular, I just have such a soft spot for the blend of horror and comedy that you, you're, that Joe Dante and Steven Spielberg kind of crafted together with that movie. First Gremlins good, second Gremlins not bad, but unmissed. Well, that's kind of the joke with Gremlins too. It's meant to be a parody of sequels. I mean, yeah. Well, I, I like when you get into like some of the stories behind it. It is almost like too meta for its own good. Would be the phrasing that you'd throw out there today. Yeah. Yeah, actually, you're probably right. That probably is a pretty good way. To... Um, but I, I get a kick out of the first one. The first time I saw it, you know, I was a kid. But you know, one of the selling points for me was midway through the movie. You know, the gremlins break into the projector room and ruin the movie for everyone. And Hulk Hogan happens to be in the theater, so he intimidates <laughs> the gremlins into starting things back up properly. And you know. Hulk Hogan promo from the mid from the mid eighties aimed at Gremlins. You can't go wrong. God damn it! Hulk Hogan won't even job a mutated Mogwai. <laughs> well, they are kind of little. There's just nobody that man would lay down for. Well, I think there's another version of it where uh, it's John Wayne that gets them to start it back up again. And okay, no, I since I was and since I was raised on John Wayne movies, that was another gr- that was a fun one for me as well. Oh, a lot of people our age were raised on John Wick. Um, I still watch them from time to time if I just like, you know, what do I feel like watching? Oh, hey, there's Big Jake. That'll work. Uh, see, for me, it's McClintock. That's that. Oh, like, yeah. That's, Specifically, yeah. the mud fight scene. It, that, that mud fight is awesome. And of course, just, if you want a just, great, if you want a great just, mud fight, you also have North to Alaska. And just to be uncomfortably politically incorrect, the Indian at the mud fight. <laughs> Oh, oh man! Where's the whiskey? No whiskey. We go home now. Oh man! It's one of those things that like probably shouldn't be funny, but you can't help but laugh at it. Oh come on! Product of its time. It, it's like the fact that when I sit here and I and I read um, the uh, the earliest Silver Age Green Lantern books, you just for the first issue or two when you realize that he's got a little Eskimo mechanic that he repeatedly, that Hal Jordan repeatedly calls pie face and who routinely exclaims jumping fish hooks and who has an Eskimo wife who for her first first appearance barely speaks a word of English. You're uncomfortable for a little bit at first. Then you quickly remember when this stuff came. Well, clearly the writers of Green Lantern were influenced by Lovecraft because he has some interesting theories about where Eskimos came from. <laughs> See, I haven't read much Lovecraft, so... He also has the I... best description of penguins ever. 
How did he describe that? Evilly. I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but I get a kick out of it every time. Oh, oh come on. Surely you've seen the gif where the one penguin is walking by the other, and the penguin just, re- just reaches up and just decks him upside the head and knocks him through the thin ice. <laughs> oh, penguin. But, yeah, he has some uh, malevolent descriptions of penguins. He has some odd... Yeah, he, he ends one of his stories with these, you know, evil beings that came up from the Arctic Ocean years and years ago, wound up inbreeding with people, which is a big theme in a lot of his work, and we got Eskimos as a result through, you know, generations upon generations. Diluting and, the... And, folks, if you watch something a little more lighthearted this Halloween just for a little, for a little bit of fun, um, and Robert and I love this because we were, we were joking about this right before the show. The complete Invader Zim, even the unaired episodes, is obviously available on DVD. It's no longer available on Netflix because Viacom took their ball and went home, presumably because they looked at how much they, at you know, what they were really making off the deal with Netflix and realized, gee, what do we really have left to pay Tito Ortiz? Um, <laughs> and Who's now injured and out of his pay-per-view fight with Rampage? Wait, what? Oh, you? Oh, yeah. Forget you've been playing Arkham Origins. Yeah, um, he had a neck. News broke today. He suffered some kind of severe neck injury. He's out of the fight. You are shitting me. Nope. <laughs> Tito Ortiz suffered a neck injury. He the fight with Rampage is off. It will no longer be on pay-per-view. It will be Bellator 106 for you on Spike TV with the main event of Eddie Alvarez and Michael Chandler, too. Okay, okay. Brief break for for Sean to rant on MMA here for a second. Because if there's two real passions I have that don't really kind of get across in the stuff I normally do for 411, it's the fact that, number one, I'm a 20-plus year wrestling fan of lots of different promotions, including TNA, and number two, I have also been a long-time MMA fan. Um, let me see. Let me see if I've got this straight. Um, TNA, not too long ago, pretty much let scads of people go, including some really talented ones. Um, including Matt Batista basically got the push that I deserve more than. Well, they you released know, that poor guy who almost broke his neck on a spot. Yeah, true, true. Um, oh, uh, uh, Jesse Sorensen. Jesse Sorensen, who quite literally broke his neck working for the company and was working backstage while he was trying to rehab to make an in-ring comeback. He gets released. He's actually making his debut, I believe, tomorrow night for ROH. Um, and this is along with several other people, you know, uh, Victoria's they did some house cleaning. And some of yep. them, some of the people they released were useless. Some of them were good. Victoria gone. Mickey James gone. There's several other people gone uh, who weren't being used. Well, at the same time, TNA comes up with this fucking convoluted storyline just because, basically, they're licking the boots of Viacom execs right right now, and Viacom owns the signed in blood on contract souls of Quentin Jackson and Tito Ortiz, to shoehorn them needlessly into a main event angle that did precisely fuck all just to promote a damn pay-per-view fight that is now not even going to happen. Well, if you followed followed the wrestling continuity, 
Rampage was the one who got hit in the head with the ball peen hammer. Tito's the one who pulled out with an injury. Uh, TNA, you know what? You deserve every single last WCW comparison you get normally. However, this is, if not the first time ever, at the very least, the first time in a long, long while that I have been able to look at one of your angles and say that you now have an equivalent to Rick Steiner versus Chucky. <laughs> oh, God bless Rick Steiner. An angle you spent fucking weeks building up that has now gone absolutely north. And, oh, Pelletor, in the words of Paul Heyman, I almost forgot about you. Now, you Paul really Heyman's thought, phrase now is lava. I know, but you know what? I remember the original ECW One Night Stand. And, that and I almost forgot about you. Oh, yeah, my favorite part of that entire fucking thing. I, I believe, I want to say he was directing that at either JBL or Edge. It was the one that no, was that either was JBL. Oh, oh because, yeah, yeah, yeah. His intro for yeah. Edge was Hide Your Wives. Yeah, yeah. You want to shoot Cowboy, Mr. Bounce, Mr. Bounce Checks, Mr. Bingo Hall? The only the reason, only reason you... you were WWE <laughs> champion for a year was because Triple H didn't want to work Tuesdays. Tuesdays. Absolutely. And then just pretty much a mic drop. Well, <laughs> you, know, you know what? Quite frankly, and quite frankly, I like the new main event. Okay, I think it's a damn shame what happened to Eddie Alvarez. And small consolation, but consolation nonetheless. He gets the main event of pay-per-view and get a chance to get no. his lightweight back. No, Go not on pay-per-view anymore. Oh, that's right. Never free mind. TV. Now, now it's just going to be a fucking free TV card. No um, pay-per-view points for Eddie Alvarez. Fucking Bjorn Redney. <laughs> but you know what? My God, Bjorn... Tell me you weren't surprised that this happened. Tito oh, got—that's impossible. Yeah, uh, Tito's ability to remain healthy is on par with Gur's ability to be useful. The only thing is, you know what? When when Tito loses a fight, you want to sit back with about the same attitude as you would have if you were listening to Shawn Michaels recount. The bar fight in because you just want to hear what overcoming the odds story he's going to come up with this time. You know I have my cracked. Yeah, you know how every time Sean tells the story, it goes from I pissed off one Marine to I took on the entire 101st Airborne with one arm tied behind my back, or like listening to Hulk Hogan continue to enhance how big Andre the Giant was when he slammed him. Well, in this case, you want to just sit back and just hear Tito Ortiz's medical report on what Which was not tampering. valid, by the way, because if he had half of those injuries, they wouldn't have let him fight in the first place. Well, maybe in oh, Texas. Oh, yeah. I, my personal favorite one was cracked skull. Yeah, you came into a fight with a cracked skull. I'm sure that... Yeah, yeah right. Fuck you, Tito, you lying sack of shit. It's a sport where they stop fights over eye pokes. Well, to be f- yeah, it is. hypothetically, yes. And, and, you know, and that's, that's not to minimize the eye pokes, but they stop them over eye pokes. They stop them over groin shots. Um, hell, Michael Bisping has a TKO win on his record. Because, because he need a guy in the head when he was in the down position deliberately. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, we're talking about the Alan Belcher fight, right? No, no, that was a decision. 
Was it a decision? Which, which one am I thinking? Because it happened in the third round, they went to a technical decision. Okay, yeah, you're right. That's that's what I'm thinking of. I'm sorry. The, I'm sorry. The UFC's been so bland the last couple of years. It all just decisions just start running together. Um, but my God, my God, when I think of all the money they've spent, the the ultimate karmic reach around with a purple nurple finisher for that little twat Bjorn, for all the shit he talks, would be for it to turn out when they look at the balance sheet. Wow. Uh, guys, you know, if we had never signed the washed-up duo here, we would have enough money to pay Ben Askren. Uh, not that anyone wants to pay Ben Askren. Well, no, but but in this case, I'm so pissed at Bellator over the way they treated Eddie Alvarez and the fact that now, let's face it, there's pretty much no chance we're going to see a prime Alvarez in the UFC. It's not going, it's probably never going to happen. Um, Very yeah, unlikely they, at this point. Yeah, they, they may get him when he's just maybe a year or two past his prime. But the question of could he have beaten Ben Henderson when he was champ or given nah. Anthony for his money? Well, now, well, maybe, maybe not. Now we're never going to fucking know. We're damn sure never going to Alvarez. Get Eddie Alvarez gets rocked and hurt in the first round of every fight he's ever been in. I mean, I had there was a joke that I told, that Sam Arcadi and I passed around for a bit after the Alvarez uh, after the uh, Alvarez and Chandler fight because in every fight he's in, Eddie Alvarez gets hit and hurt in the first round. Samer posited, you know, what would happen if Frankie Edgar fought Eddie Alvarez? Because Frankie Edgar also always gets nailed and hurt in the first round. Well, so we threw back. We threw speculation. Mine was, we get a double count-out. We get the first ever double count-out, no decision in UFC history, or we get a first 8-8 round. No, because you know what? I hate to say it. I know I'm going to one day be proven wrong, but I'm just going to go ahead and throw this out there anyway. I'm convinced that that Frankie Edgar cannot be knocked out. I have no idea what it would take to do it. I, you know what? I really seriously think that little son of a bitch might be part Pikey. It, it's entirely possible. You know what? It's just quite, quite frankly, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend that Gray Maynard is exactly the Mike Tyson of the lightweight division. However, that being said, Gray beat the ever-loving stop, stop, he's already dead piss out of Frankie, and all it seemed to do was wake him up. In both fights, you know, if if Frankie had a little more of a killer instinct, it, it would almost be like fighting Diego Sanchez or Chris Levin to the point to where you're actually afraid to hurt him because you think you might just make him mad. You wouldn't like him when he's angry. No, no, but but actually, really though, Eddie Alvarez versus Frankie Edgar, fuck, I'd love to see that fight. The only problem, the only problem is. Uh, took too damn long to make it happen, and now Frankie's probably not going back up to 155 anytime soon. He's fighting DJ and, Penn at what I assume is going to wind up being a catchweight fight. <laughs> yeah, fighting him probably like 150 or 147 or something. Although I hear BJ. I, I just actually, assume. I assume that the week leading up to that fight, they're going to announce it changed. It gets changed to a catchweight. I always figured that would actually be what would happen if uh, Uriah Faber and Frankie finally decided to talk turkey and make a fight between the two of them, but they would just come up with a compromise like that. But apparently 
you know, Uriah wouldn't want to come up five pounds to 140. Frankie wouldn't want to go, but wouldn't want to go five down to one four, five down to 140. So that's another awesome fight we're probably never going to get. Um, Until Frankie loses another two title fights at featherweight and has to drop down to bantamweight. Of course, by uh, that point, Faber will have lost two more title fights at bantamweight and have to retire. You know what, though? At this point, it's we're not coming up. I think probably not until. I think we're about maybe another two more Aldo title defenses before we finally do start coming back around to rematches. Nah, Aldo's moving up. Has it, now okay again? Maybe I missed something. Has he definitively said? Yeah. That there's not a definitive timetable, but all indications are that he next year, like either early 15 or late 14, he's going to be done and just move up to lightweight. At that point, Henry will move up to. Featherweight and Uriah Faber might have a shot at becoming a champion at Bantam. Yeah, because Uriah, I don't think, would stand a chance against Hennon. But he already lost Uriah, to him. And would again. Uriah against Cruz, especially after Cruz is coming off being gone for two years of milking the apparent naked pictures of Dana White to hold on to that title. Yeah, I'd probably favor, I'd probably favor Faber in that one. Yeah, uh, possibly. Know. All right. Since the, now that we've gone completely off track, because uh, Tito Ortiz got injured again, good for you, Tito. Uh, is there uh, just real quick, kind of you know, hundred words or less? Is there any movie that you that we haven't touched on, or any specific bad guy from a you know a Halloween fan fa- or Halloween favorite films that you want to touch on real fast? The only other two I can think of that are kind of out of left field that I would want to touch on real fast. Number one said before, I'll say it again. Grave Encounters, one of the few final, final, yeah, few found footage movies that actually gets it right. It's actually really intense, pretty scary. Uh, do not bother with the sequel. I've done warned you, don't do it. Um, and the other one, although it's not exactly what you'd call a horror movie, Cube. I call the Cube a horror movie. Uh... I don't know. It's it's kind of. I tend to look at more of as a sci-fi suspense thriller than really being patently horror. Um, but if you have yeah, the, the patient, line, be- the line between thriller and horror is a very blurry one, and it wiggles it, a lot. I mean, it's it's not exactly high budget. It's it's got a good suspenseful story. Well, don't acted. watch any of the sequels. Oh God, no heavens, no. And, oh, and one last one, just since I mentioned it a podcast or two ago. But, uh, yeah, I mentioned our Haunted Locations podcast. Uh, the 13 Ghosts remake. Yep, that's a good one. You can find it, folks. It's Yeah, it's, it's, it's surprisingly good. It's got a pretty solid cast, too. It's got uh, F. Murray Abraham, uh, Shannon Elizabeth, um, Matthew Lillard in one of the rare instances in which he's tolerable for more than five minutes. Um, uh Tony Shaloub is great in the lead. Uh, uh, and Tony Shaloub's always great. Uh, Rod Digga plays every stereotypical horror black lady ever. Um, oh, and it's got a soundtrack that features my favorite song by Tricky called Excess. Eh, can't go wrong. No, no going wrong with Tricky. All right, and I think that's going to wrap us up tonight for this one. Uh we're, you know, yeah, we're in overtime, but this was a shorter episode than usual for a variety of reasons. But fun was had here. Um, 
quick plug for next week. The first of November is Friday. Night after Halloween, Sean's coming back, and we're going to talk about Freddy Krueger. Yep. So please tune in for that. It will be awesome. Add the welcome to primetime, bitch. The how's this for a western? I find that one to be more of a bad line than your than welcome to primetime. Of course, the fact that it's in a worse movie doesn't help. Where, where does that rank in comparison to now I'm playing with power and I told you comics comic books was bad for you? Oh, man, just so many bad lines. So many bad lines, and yet in Wes Craven's New Nightmare, that part where he says, how this ever play skin the cat? Have fresh pants to change into, Handy. So, yeah, please return next week for that. It will be awesome. Uh, we'll have a lot of fun with that one. Uh, during the month of November, I'm going to switch to an every other week format just because the holidays are coming on. So it won't be every Friday. It will be every other Friday. I'll get that nailed down specifically. Uh, I don't know what – I don't – I'm not sure the entirety of what I'm going to talk about in November, but Mark Radlitz wants to come on and talk Darth Vader, and Thanksgiving is, you know, family get-together time, so, hey, we'll talk about Vader. And no, we will not be discussing little whiny bull haircut bitch kid who from The Phantom Menace. <laughs> so you have that to look forward to on here on Everyone Loves a Bad Guy. Uh, if I could get a couple of other quick plugs, I am guest hosting the 411 Ground and Pound radio show this Sunday because Mark is, he has stuff that he's doing, so I'm stepping in to host that. If you're a fan of MMA, we'll be reviewing UFC Fight Night 30, and we'll probably be making fun of Tito Ortiz because, hey, why not? <laughs> uh, any plugs you want to get in that you want to throw out there, Sean? Well, I might as well throw in the um, Long Road to Ruin schedule that Mark modified while I was um, November 5th because I've had four weeks of watching blood, guts, and souls being torn apart. Uh, we're going to turn from that to the Toy Story trilogy, which best, I guarantee best you is going to be one of the best trilogy on film, period. I guarantee you is going to be one of the few podcasts when I don't say the word fuck once. Um, then uh, we have got uh, kind of a little bit of a mini hiatus after that because um, the 12th is Metal Hammer of Doom, November 19th. Mark is off due to a holiday slash cruise, so well, that's going to be either a week off or I grab a guest host and we decide to do something. Um, November 26th, Mark has got another metal has got the Metal Hammer of Doom year-end special. And then finally, December 3rd, one day after I turned 31 candles, um, the first three Die Hard movies, one week after that, uh, we're doing the fourth and fifth Die Hard debacles. And then finally, we are going to round out 2013 on December 17th with the Santa Claus trilogy. Um, after that, Mark and I are going to go away for a few weeks. We're going to recharge our respective batteries because... So far, I'm the only one of the two of us who's been on every episode of the show. Um, and then <laughs> and then January 7th, we are coming back to start what is going to be a six-week show of Alien, of Alien, one, Alien 1 through 4, the entire quadrilogy in one show. Then January 21st, we've got Predator, Predator 2, and Predators. And then finally, on February 4th, we're going to be doing the two AVP movies. And for those three sets, we're going to be joined by my good friend, um, 
paranormal author, newspaper columnist, uh, former mayor of Orrick, Missouri, former bartender, Northwest Missouri State University journalism instructor, uh, father, husband, all-around fantastic guy, Jason Offit. Um, and then from there, well, as we get into February, it's we're doing The Highlander and then possibly either something Kevin Napier is going to pick or the Dark Knight trilogy. And, yeah, that's about as far into it. All right, I'm well, looking just, forward to listening to all of those. Yeah, that's about as far uh, as like I can I, I will stand firmly behind my assertion that Toy Story is the best trilogy on film, and I grew up with Back to the Future. Oh, God, Back to the Future. One great movie, one close to as good as the first sequel, and a third movie that was good, but not up to the caliber of the other two, but still a pretty satisfying thing. I just enjoy three, by and large, because they're in the Old West. You know what? It's it's three movies that never really, at any point in the trilogy, we can't really say that it ever went patent wrong. Nope. And, again, I will hold all three Toy Story movies up against either set of the, you know what, any three Star Wars movies. You can rearrange them however you want. And I absolutely feel it's better than the Lord of the Rings trilogy as well, so... Um, I'm looking forward to hearing you guys talk about that. And I say this as somebody who is very devoted to the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I would agree with you. I love the Lord of the Rings trilogy as well. It's just that's the regard that I hold Toy Story in. And uh, I feel bad for you having to watch the third Santa Claus movie. Uh, The the first one was the first one was pretty good. The first one was uh, first one was a staple of my holiday viewing for a long time. Yeah, it was um, it was it was a pretty fun little Disney movie, and and I'm not a big big Disney guy, but that was back when they could still get a live action right. So yeah, um, so I am looking forward to all of those. Again, I just I'm sorry you have to watch the third one. You know what? If I you made it through Hellraiser Revelations, you can go through anything twice. There you go. Exactly. All right. Freaking exactly. So you have. All of those fun things to look, to look forward to in the Rattelich and Broadcasting Network. We also have the Casual Heroes, uh, the Rated R Republican for the uh, the right hook on From the Right Radio, uh, the Metal Hammer of Doom, which was briefly discussed here. Which is if you're a metalhead, and I there are, there are subgenres of metal that I'm a pretty big fan of, so that tends to be stuff I listen to. You have this show, lots of good stuff in the Rattelich and Broadcasting Network. We're on Blog Talk, we're on iTunes, we're everywhere, folks. We're taking over. Thankfully, I am not wearing cutoffs when I said that. Good grief. One, one of these days, we might end up being the next that guy with the glasses at the rate we're gathering shows. One can only hope. All right, that's going to do it for this one again next week. Come back. Freddy Krueger uh, will be awesome, just because Freddy's such an awesome character. He's the anti-slasher, folks, especially when compared with Jason and Michael. But that's my that's my quick preview for next week, so we'll see you then. And here to bid us farewell, as always, we've got Tony Montana. I'll see you next week. So say goodnight to the bad guy.